Can I tell you something that's a little uncomfortable for me to say? Oh wait, do I do that every week? Today, I want to touch on another expert. I have a previous expert series that I did where I explored some singers and authors, and today I want to talk to you about a pastor. Ooh, touchy. And believe me, I feel a lot of soberness about this, and I want to be honoring to people, but also truthful. The pastor I'm choosing today is from Hillsong in Sydney, Australia. They have recently, I say they, meaning he and his wife, have recently taken over the church post a somewhat scandal that I won't get into, but they are taking on the entire church and it's pretty big. So it's a big job. So I decided to go ahead and listen on my own to a sermon. I had heard some things about Hillsong sermons and how like doctrinally off they were. And I thought, yeah, yeah, maybe. But, you know, I just don't like taking people's word for it unless I'm really totally sure. So I went ahead and went listened to um, their latest one. They're talking about the favor of the Lord and the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee. The text that he was reading from is in Luke 4, and it's when Jesus was um, being praised by a bunch of people. He was in Galilee and that region all around there, and um, it says in verse 15 of Luke chapter 4, and he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. Verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all the people in the synagogue were intently directed at him. Now he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all the people were speaking well of him and admiring the gracious words which were coming from his lips. And yet they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. All the miracles we heard were done in Capernaum. Do them in your hometown as well. But he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I tell you the truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a severe famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And... There were many with leprosy in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. 
And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and drove him out of the city and brought him to be brought him to the crest of the hill on which their city had been built so that they could throw him down from the cliff. But he passed through their midst and went on his way. And then it talks a little bit more about him going down to Capernaum and doing some other teachings. Um, And so the subject kind of changes a little bit. Their pastor at Hillsong stopped reading at the um, end of Jesus quoting Isaiah 61. So then he goes on to talk about the year of favor that God has for them. And he says, quote, Jesus is saying, and he quotes his made up quote for Jesus. I have come for everyone, no matter. And then he lists off a bunch of, you know, no matter your race, no matter your amount of money, no matter how much power you have, blah, 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 to bring you favor. So those are, that's him kind of making up a quote for Jesus. And he does that several times. Um, So then he starts to talk about how Nazareth is an ordinary town. And, you know, I just actually, we studied this. um, There's a fallacy in the book that my son and I are going through called Fallacy Detective, which is super fun, by the way. Um, where we talk about making assumptions. Leaders or pastors who um, are in the category of kind of misrepresenting scripture, they do that a lot. They take a passage of scripture and instead of searching in the scripture for what they need to learn from it and what it's actually saying, they're looking in the Bible for something that supports whatever they want to say. Uh, Nazareth is an ordinary place, and so he's making this connection all by himself. It's really not in there. He's just making assumptions, and that's one of the fallacies is if you're reading something and you don't have any proof for it whatsoever in the text, then you're making an assumption. It sounds so obvious, but it's really hard to catch yourself doing this. Like many of us do every day, this guy is doing it, but he's doing it with the Bible. So it's a little bit more inappropriate. So from him talking about Nazareth, he is saying it was an ordinary town, which I guess it was. I don't know. I haven't studied that. But he said because of that, Jesus's message was for ordinary people, that he was implying in his message that this isn't just for powerful people because he went back to Nazareth. So that's kind of a mistake, number one. Then uh, he quotes again saying, the real power of Jesus is found in his humility. And I, I totally believe Jesus was humble, but when I hear kind of absolute statements like that that aren't backed up with scripture, it makes me want to go search them out. So that's actually on my list to do. And I just want to be vulnerable that I have not gone up and, and look that up. Um, to see, you know, where is he getting this? The real power of Jesus is found in his humility. I'm just not sure about that. There's something about that that bugs me because isn't Jesus all powerful because he is? I mean, not to sound overly simplistic, but he's all powerful because he's all powerful. I know that sounds like circular reasoning, but it isn't because of his character qualities that he's all powerful. His real power comes from himself. And because he's all-powerful, because he is love, God is love, he is also humble.
So now we get back to the favor part. He says, quote, Jesus stopped in Isaiah 61 before he got to the vengeance part. And I just want to go back and read Isaiah 61 so you can hear what exactly it says right after Jesus stopped his quote. That is very important. So in Isaiah 61, let me just look this up in real time because, okay, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the humble. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to captives and to um, and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the cloak of praise instead of a disheartened spirit. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So he points out in his sermon that um, Jesus ended with to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, and he did not continue on with the next line and the day of vengeance of our God because, quote, Jesus didn't come to bring judgment, but God's favor. And then he goes on to say, it doesn't mean vengeance doesn't exist, just that Jesus took it. And I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, I'm, I'm trying to track with him, you know. I don't want to, you know, judge too early, right? So then he starts to ask, what does favor mean to you and I? And he talks about, you know, the year of Jubilee, it's the slaves were set free, debts were forgiven, rest and restoration came. So he kind of distills those down into three words that favor means, number one, freedom, number two, forgiveness, and number three, new beginnings. And then he gets down to the heart of his real message. And are you ready for this? All of this so far has just been building up. He's found the passage in scripture where he can kind of prop up the message he's wanting to say. And here it is. He says all of these things, meaning everything I've said so far, speaks to health, forgiveness, freedom, rest. He said that all says healthy to me. And then he quotes and says again, God's plan for you and I is to be healthy. Spirit, soul, physical body. If we're healthy, we're going to build healthy churches. And that leads to growth. Okay, so here we've got it. All of this is leading up to what does favor look like? They've twisted this scripture to mean God wants to grow my church. Healthy churches get bigger. Do you see how this is super messed up? And not at all gospel-centered. He said, we're building a church for generations to come. And while that vision might sound nice, he's talking about how much they've grown and how around the globe, you know, there's like a ton of Hillsong churches. And essentially, if you distill this message down into its most simplistic structure, it is growth in a church equals healthy and healthy 
equals God's plan. And if you look at the opposite of that, it would say, if you aren't experiencing growth, and he hasn't explained what that means, but the implication is grown like our church, meaning more and more people sitting their booties down in the seats, listening to me talk about unbiblical things, that equals healthy. So if you don't have that, then that would equal not healthy, which then would equal not God's plan for you. Do you see how twisted that is? He said, quote, healthy things grow. Well, so do weeds. Okay, weeds grow. That does not make them healthy for your garden. Jesus is God. He didn't just come to give lovey-dovey messages. He will bring the sword in Revelation. I mean, read Revelation. So I'm not here to like unpack scripture for you, but I am here to tell you that Hillsong's messages are most definitely unbiblical and focused very, very me-centric gospel. And they kind of butcher um, scripture. And maybe they don't do this in every single one of their sermons, but this particular sermon, I picked it because it talks about the vision, the vision of their church, the vision of where they're going, what they're doing, what they're about. So I thought, hey, if there's ever a, a sermon to listen to, this is the one that will help me understand their mindset. And actually, you know, there will be a great falling away at some point. And it doesn't matter how big your church is. God is looking for true followers, people that will obey him, that will repent and uh, lay. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Lana, for ruining my love of Hillsong. I'm really hoping I didn't do that to you. I'm not saying that everything that Hillsong pumps out in terms of sermons and music is like completely devoid of any value whatsoever. I've not listened to all their songs. I have not listened to all their sermons, but please hear me. We have to be cautious when we let Hillsong come into our mind space. We can't just accept everything they say. Honestly, we can't just accept everything anyone says. But Hillsong in particular, I have found to be uh, closer to the end of the spectrum where they misuse scripture to say whatever they really want to say anyway. They just use it to prop up their ideas. And that means taking it out of context. That means, you know, just using it for their own devices. So be careful. Be careful with their music because music has a way of just informing our doctrine in ways that, you know, it kind of goes undetected and unnoticed. We have to be really vigilant to um, consider who we're listening to and what we're believing. Where are we getting our information from? So I hope that this makes you double down and consider where you're getting your doctrine from, where you're getting your information from, because we want to believe the right things. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to have perfect theology, but we can be good Bereans. We can go back to scripture and say, hmm, well, I like that tune, but are those words feeding my soul? And if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Keep listening. Keep coming. 
keep linking arms with me as we push against the culture of chaos and swim upstream together. I'm Lana Lee Wilkins. This is Upstreamers.